this morning. I tried to follow JJ's routine. I feel great. So uh, you guys, I say give it a try. <laughs> okay. Joe, we got to meditate a little bit at halftime, okay? I mean, I'm a little high strung. I don't know how to do that, but you guys already knew that. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, uh, what's up, everybody? Joel Klatt here. It is the Joel Klatt Show. Uh, pumped for another great weekend of college football, and I can't wait to talk about some of these matchups, some really good ranked matchups. We're going to get into those. I'm going to give you my my picks in those games, um, in particular with the the lines. So I'm going to give you some 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 betting advice. So that'll be fun. Hey, if you haven't listened to the two previous shows this week, go back and listen to them because we had a lot of really good stuff uh, coming out of last weekend. Uh, talked a lot about Texas on Monday. Uh, any Texas fan out there, you're going to want to go back and and check that out. Talked about that Alabama A&M game. That was a terrific game. Ohio State, their dominance in particular on offense. So that was Monday. On Wednesday's episode, uh, we got into some scenarios of what could happen this weekend, some what-ifs. Penn State, Tennessee, what if they win? Uh, what if Texas runs the table? I gave you my, my rankings as far as the conferences go, um, and then the best shot any team has uh, to to draw some new blood in the college football playoff conversation. So if you're a UCLA fan, you're going to want to go check that out. But today, we've got breakdowns, and I can't wait for these. I'm going to talk about my matchup, Penn State-Michigan, which is going to be fantastic. Alabama-Tennessee, monster game. Uh, Oklahoma State-TCU, USC-Utah. Again, like some really great... I'm not even going to get into NC State-Syracuse because it just doesn't matter as much. Um, and, and all apologies to those schools and... Uh, the other four are just better games at this point. So let's get into it, and let's start with my matchup in the big house. Number 10, Penn State at number 5, Michigan. Okay, this is going to be, I think, a really good game. Um, both of these teams, by the way, have set themselves up for success at this point. Both of these teams have answered some of the questions that we had for them in the offseason, and I think that that's been important for them. If you just kind of walk through some of those questions that they've answered, you start with, let's start, start with the road team, Penn State. Coming into the season, you knew that they had to get better running the football. They've done that. You got to give a lot of credit to their offensive line, yes, and they're certainly more nasty, but they've been more committed to it as well from a style standpoint and from a schematic standpoint. And then you obviously can't leave out those two freshman running backs, Katron Allen, Nick Singleton. They have made a world of difference for Penn State running the football. And what that has allowed them to do is take the pressure off of Sean Clifford. And Sean Clifford is a vastly different player there. And I would say he's even more valuable now for what he does and what he brings to the table than what he was in previous years. Here's what the run game has allowed them to do. Put more tight ends on the field, rely on that run game, and allow Sean Clifford and his experience to put them in the correct play. So Sean Clifford is working much harder this year pre-snap than he is post-snap. And in years past, it was a post-snap offense. What do I mean by that? Well, Sean's putting them in the right play based on pre-snap alignment of the defense. And... Last year, everything about that offense, and, and, and really in years prior, it was an RPO-based offense. So they would get into a set, and then they would try to put a defender in conflict, but that decision would be made post-snap. And so you had a lot of those RPOs. And quite frankly, I just think Sean Clifford is way better pre-snap than he is post-snap. 
He's really smart, orchestrates the entire thing. He changes protections. He changes plays. He gets them into advantageous looks. So it's it's his brain power and experience that has led them to their run game success because they do not run the ball a lot into what I would call um, adverse fronts, okay, where you can't block everybody and it's just very difficult to run into those looks. So this whole style and shift, to me, is what has made them so much better and so much different than a year ago. So what's different about Penn State this year than last year? They were 5-0 last year. They're 5-0 this year. Well, last year they had no depth at quarterback. The offense was still, I would even say, kind of sputtering. They were relying completely on a defense that was very good, by the way. And this year it just feels different. It feels more sustainable. This Penn State team is better as a whole than last year. Now, I don't think that their defensive personnel is quite as good as what they were a year ago, right? They had some really great players last year on all three levels, and that's nothing to take away from what they've got this year, and they still play an aggressive, um, matchup-oriented style of defense, but they're a more complementary team this year, and I think anybody that watches them would agree. Their ability to run has made the whole difference. Their health on the defensive line in particular with P.J. Mustafer and at the quarterback position with Sean Clifford has made a huge difference. Now in their matchup this week against Michigan, I think they're going to be tested to a greater degree than anybody has been able to test them. Both of these teams you know, are, are in that same boat. And on the Michigan side, what are the questions they've answered? Well, we we didn't know exactly who their quarterback was going to be. Now we know. All right. And so now J.J. McCarthy has got those reins moving forward. Were they going to be able to run the football as effectively as they did a year ago when they had Hassan Haskins and Corum and an offensive line that won the Joe Moore Award? Well, check, because they're one of the best rushing teams in the country. A lot of credit goes to Blake Corum, certainly, uh, but also that offensive line has played really well. They're athletic. They've done a heck of a job. And to this point, at least, they've been dominant up front. Absolutely dominant. Olu Oluwatimi is a guy that transferred in and has really transformed them into a more athletic offensive line, and he's done a heck of a job. He's their center. The main question on the defensive side for Michigan was about the pass rush. Were they going to be able to replace the productivity of Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo. And obviously, that was a monumental task. And up to this point, you wouldn't say that they've replaced it, but you would say that there are signs that that pass rush can and at times has been dominant to points in this season. Now, they haven't played a lot of great teams, and I understand that. But in the last couple of weeks, something happened late in games that that has me believing that this pass rush is going to have a much better second half of the season than it even had in the first half of the season. Guys like Mike Morris and Yabi Oki and even Junior Colson from the second level of the linebacker position entering into the rush as a fifth rusher, what they've been able to do is that if your offense gets the run game taken away or you turn into a one-dimensional team, if they can stop the run, if they get get you behind the chains, or if they get you down on the scoreboard, that ro- that rush shows up big time. And we've seen that late in each of the last two weeks. So they've answered that question. So what remains for each of these teams? Okay, so I've just you know praised each of these teams for where they're at, and rightly so. But what remains for each of these teams? Well, the biggest question of all, can you do it against great competition? And that's what we get to find out in the big house on Saturday, which is why I'm so excited for this game. Is J.J. McCarthy really ready for 
adversity. Maybe a second-half deficit. You never know. Is this rebuilt Penn State offense really committed to the run game when push comes to shove? Or will they revert back to the RPO post-snap decision style offense that we saw a year ago under Mike Yersich? Those are questions I can't wait to answer. Is the run game for Michigan for real against a defense that can really stop the run? P.J. Mustafer in the interior of that defense, Abdul Carter, a young linebacker for Penn State, really good players, really good players. I can't wait to see Blake Corum try to run the football against them. On the other side, can Penn State not just stay committed but run the ball at guys like Mozzie Smith? Like this, this is just like dripping with great storylines. It's strength against strength. Both of these teams really wondering how good they actually are. I think both of them are very good. So where is the game won and lost, Joel? Where is it going to happen? Where should I be watching about where – should, where should I train my eyes during this ball game in terms of where it's going to be won and lost? I think it's, it's won or lost on which team can establish the run. I know that's cliche and, and can be boring, and I understand that, but it's true because both offenses desperately need their run game. We've seen that with Penn State. We know what Penn State is without a run game, and it wasn't good enough last year. They fell off the face of the map after that 5-0 start, health at the quarterback position, so on and so forth. They can't just get into a throwing game. They've got to maintain their ability to keep their tight ends out there, keep it a pre-snap decision game for Sean Clifford, not a post-snap decision game for Sean Clifford. Conversely, I don't know if J.J. McCarthy is the type of guy that can just go out there and say, hey, we're going to throw it 35 times in order to win. Now, you can throw it 30 or 35 times, but only 10 or 11 of those better be actual drop-back passing in obvious down situations, right? So can they run the football? That's where I'm watching Early in this game, middle of this game, is the commitment to the run game from each team and the ability to have success. Because the team that establishes that is going to be the one that's balanced on offense, and they will ultimately have more success than the other team. I think it's going to be fantastic. Two guys that not many people will talk about in this game. I've mentioned their name already, but they're the two biggest keys for each team. And they're both defensive players, and they're both defensive tackles. P.J. Mustafer for Penn State, Mozzie Smith for Michigan. Those two guys will allow their defenses to either play two safeties back or one safety back. If they can play two safeties back and still stop the run with those guys in the interior, then that defense is going to have a lot of success. Those are the two guys that you've got to watch early in this game. Now, I'm not going to give a pick in this one. I will say Michigan is favored by seven. They're at home. It's in the big house. It's a maze out, and this game is going to be unbelievable. I absolutely love this matchup. Can't wait to get there. Okay, next up. Number three, Alabama at number six, Tennessee. This is going to be a wild environment if any of you and i know these people i may work with one of them if any of you know a tennessee fan you know that this is like i don't even like they can't even contain themselves it doesn't matter if they've gotten no sleep it doesn't matter like they can't contain themselves about this game they have been thinking about the decade of disaster and yet it doesn't register because it's here Tennessee playing not just Alabama but relevant Tennessee playing Alabama at home the environment in Neyland is going to be wild I mean if they win they might burn the stadium down you never know 
You never know. Tennessee fans are passionate. At times, they go way overboard, and they are crazy, but they are crazy for their team. Did you hear them singing Rocky Top in Baton Rouge last week? They took over Baton Rouge. It's not like they took over Vandy, which like you would understand, right? Like They took over LSU's stadium. Tiger Stadium, there they were singing Rocky Top. And that place is going to be ready, ready for Bama. And Bama's in trouble. Bama's in trouble. Bama's favored by seven. That's too much. Just telling you right now. Here's why. If you really dig into what Alabama is, they are vastly better at home than they are in true road games. Okay, take out neutral sites and just look at true road games. Okay, and you'll look at a team that this year at home is allowing about seven and a half points per game. Okay, seven and a half. That's amazing. That defense is amazing. Do you know on the road they give up 22 and a half? Okay, so what do they do on offense? Well, at home, they score 49.3 points per game, almost 50 points per game. That's really good. So their margin of victory at home is 42. That's really good. That's even with last week entered into the equation. You know, they score on the road about 34 and a half points. That's a margin of 12. That is vastly different. Look at what they've done over the last couple of years. Last year, struggling with Florida on the road. Got beat by AM. What was it? Four overtimes against Auburn. This year, Texas. They got lucky to win that game at Texas. Again, true road games, they're not great. They're not great. And Tennessee is good in the exact spot that gives Alabama problems, which is the pass defense. We saw in the first quarter against um, Texas. When Quinn Ewers was hurting them down the field, we even saw it to a degree last week. Their pass defense is is not great. Guess who is leading the SEC and is second in the country in terms of 30-yard or more pass plays? Tennessee. Hendon Hooker, here you go. This is what you came to Tennessee for, and this is why I think a lot of people are so excited about your play because it's been so good. They have 16 plays, pass plays, of 30 or more yards. The only team in the country with more than that is Ohio State, which you'd be like, well, yeah, that makes sense. Ohio State is the best offense in the country. And guess who's not far behind? Tennessee. Tennessee is really good on the offensive side. I like what Josh Heupel does from a schematic standpoint. I really love what Hendon Hooker brings them. They're balanced to some degree. They've got speed. They can attack. They haven't even had their best wide receiver, and yet they've got wide receivers out there playing remarkably well. Brew McCoury is one of them. So this Tennessee team is uniquely built to match up with this Alabama team, which is not great in pass defense and certainly has struggled over the last couple of years on the road. When you look at Hendon Hooker, he's got two TDs in every single game. He hasn't thrown an interception. And since he became the Tennessee quarterback, I think he's like over 40 touchdowns and only, I think, like three interceptions. He has been outstanding. Last week, Alabama got away without with with not playing Bryce Young. They won't get away with that this, this week. They have to have Bryce Young even to make this close. They were able to play one-dimensional offense last week, 51 carries, over five yards a carry against an A&M team. Why? Because A&M is dead last in the SEC in stopping the run. Well, guess who's really good at stopping the run? Tennessee, number two. 
So Bama is going to have to throw it, which means Bryce Young is going to have to be on the field, which means he's going to have to be protected, which means that they're going to have to run it a little bit in order to protect him. There's a lot of pressure on Jameer Gibbs against a much better run defense in order to protect Bryce Young a little bit. This is a bad matchup for Alabama. I'm just telling you right now, the seven is too much. Bama is favored by seven. Give me Tennessee in this one. I'm actually calling for an outright win from Tennessee. Tennessee at home in that environment, I think, beats Alabama this week. It's a bad matchup for Alabama. You cannot gloss over some of the things that I've talked about here. Their road struggles. The fact that Tennessee is able to stop the run, and if you can't run it, then Bryce Young is going to be right in the crosshairs. This is a bad matchup for Bama. I'm ringing the alarm bells. I'm taking Tennessee outright, even though they're getting seven. Next up. Number eight, Oklahoma State at number 13, TCU. Oh, so TCU and Oklahoma State present a really good and yet underrated quarterback matchup. Spencer Sanders for Oklahoma State, Max Duggan for TCU. Both of these guys playing really well. Um, if you actually look at the Big 12 passing statistics, you'll see that they're really the top two quarterbacks in the conference. Now, I say that that doesn't include Quinn Ewers yet because he hasn't thrown enough uh, or, or played enough to be included in those stats. So outside of Quinn Ewers, these two quarterbacks are the best two quarterbacks in the Big 12 in particular this year. Um, both have a lot of experience and both are really vital to their team's success. And you can be saying like, well, of course they are. Joel is their quarterback. Yeah, but these are offensive-oriented teams. Both of these defenses are not that great. In fact, when you look and you kind of dig through some of the numbers, they're actually eerily similar in terms of their struggles on defense. So it's going to come down to the quarterback play. Both of these guys playing at a high level. Now, last year, Spencer Sanders, at times, struggled turning the ball over. If that happens, then it's a lock. Then TCU's going to win this one. By the way, they're favored by four and a half. If he doesn't, then it could be a struggle. And then it's going to go back to, like, well, who can stay balanced? Who can run the ball a little bit? And then which quarterback is going to make more plays? Well, listen... TCU's offense right now is just a little bit ahead of Oklahoma State. TCU is in the top three in scoring offense and total offense in the country. All right, right up there with Tennessee and Ohio State. These are kind of the best offenses in the country, and Duggan has played really well, in particular at home. When I look at this matchup for them at home, TCU is averaging 57 points per game at home. Max Duggan, 14 touchdowns, only one interception. And even though Spencer Sanders is experienced, that defense for Oklahoma State makes me nervous. We saw what happened to Oklahoma when they rolled into Fort Worth. They, I mean, they weren't having it. By the way, that's a pretty good environment in and of itself. Those Frog fans are ready to go. And here's another shout-out because I have one of my favorite people on the planet who is at TCU and will be at the game, and that is my nephew, Ben. He's a freshman at TCU, and he just constantly, like, he's texting me all the time. Hey, the Frogs, the Frogs, look at the Frogs, look at the Frogs. They were in a big game last week on the road. They come back home. That place is going to be electric. And I think that their offense is going to be too much for a struggling defense of Oklahoma State. If you're asking me what I like in this game, it's TCU. Even though they're favored by four and a half, I would take TCU in this one because they're at home and because their quarterback is so comfortable at home. Again, 57 points per game at home this year for the Frogs offense. I think the Frogs stay undefeated and really grasp 
the lead in that Big 12. If they win this game, I really think that they're going to wind up in the Big 12 championship game, and that might be right where they're headed in Sonny Dyke's first year as head coach of the TCU Horned Frogs. That one's going to be a, a very good game and an underrated game because the other three that I'm talking about are going to get much more of the attention, but that one's going to be very good in particular when you look at the race for that Big 12 championship and who's actually going to be playing there in Jerry's world. All right, last game. Here we go. Number seven, USC at number 20, Utah. So we've been looking at this really ever since the offseason. This USC team, it was like, well, where are the games that they could struggle? And everyone's like, well, Utah, Utah, maybe UCLA, maybe Notre Dame. But hey, you know, Lincoln Riley, Lincoln Riley, this offense. So Utah being at home, they've got two losses. It's the best two-loss team in the country. I think you would agree with me on that. Utah is favored by three and a half in this game. You know, would it offend you, Trojan fans, if I told you that right now, USC is a bit of an illusion? Doesn't mean that they're bad. I just think they're a bit of an illusion. And the reason is they have to play a very specific style in order to win. If you look at the stats and you look through the numbers, you would be like, oh man, their defense is is way improved. Their defense is really good. You might even say really good. They're the number one scoring defense in the Pac-12, Joel. They're number one in the country in interceptions and sacks. Man, they're monsters on that side of the ball. But that doesn't tell the whole story. See, the fact of the matter is, is that if their offense, which is tremendous, one of the best offenses in the country, but if their offense does not put their defense in position to succeed with the lead, opposing an, uh, uh, you know, an opposing offense that has to be one-dimensional, then they're not anywhere near those numbers. They're 105th right now in the country in terms of yards per rush defense. They have to play with the lead. If they don't play with the lead, that run defense will be exposed. This matchup in particular is a horrendous matchup for USC. Horrendous. Why? Nobody is more committed to running the football in the Pac-12 than Utah. Nobody. They average more carries per game than everybody in the conference. Almost 40 carries per game. Nobody in the Pac-12 does a better job of keeping the opposing offense on the sideline than Utah. They lead the conference in time of possession at 33 minutes. Terrible matchup. Utah has been the best home team in the Pac-12. If you go all the way back to 2017, Kyle Whittingham's Utes are 23-2 in Salt Lake at home. So here you have a team that is great at home, Committed to running the ball, physical at the line of scrimmage, and does a great job of keeping the opposing offense on the sideline. If you're building a team to face this USC team, that's exactly what you would build. This is not a good matchup for USC. I told you that it's not a good matchup for Alabama, and this is also not a good matchup for USC. USC is 16 points offensively scoring offense worse on the road. Let's just put it this way. Caleb Williams is going to have to play his best game of his career if USC is going to go in there and actually beat Utah. 
You know, UCLA was able to beat up on Utah last week. Why? Because UCLA could get physical. They can run the ball. They can stay balanced on offense. They've got a defense that right now leads the Pac-12 in yards per rush given up. And that was a bad matchup for Utah. And Utah turned the ball over a couple of times. UCLA was was opportunistic at times. And then, boom, there you go, and it's a Bruins win. And by the way, that Bruins team, that's also a bad matchup for USC. USC is wants to be in a track meet. They want to be in a game in which they can get a touchdown, two touchdown, maybe even a three-score lead in that game. You get up there to that 12-point margin, 14-point margin, 17-point margin, and now what shows up? Well, the ability to disrupt on the defense, so sacks and interceptions, that disruption leads to poor timing, and then here you go, you're going to get those interceptions. And then that leads to a good scoring defense. But outside of that, their total defense is not great, and and their run defense is not great. This Utah team, I think, beats USC, and I think they cover that three and a half. So if you're looking, folks, and if I'm, you want me to recap, no pick on the Penn State-Michigan. I just am rooting for a great game. My three picks this week, I'm taking Tennessee and the points. They're getting seven. I'm taking TCU and giving four and a half, and I'm taking Utah and I'm giving three and a half in those ball games. Should be an unbelievable weekend of college football. I can't wait. Again, I'm going to be in the big house. Gus, Jenny, and I will have the call for Penn State and Michigan. Um, this is the Joel Klatt Show. Remember, subscribe, download, write us a review, rate our podcast. I love college football. You love college football. I. I'm having so much fun doing this show, so I'm glad that you're enjoying it. You can hit me up uh, at Joel Clatt on Twitter. You can join the show's content at Joel Clatt Show on all the social medias. We've got all the videos up there. If you miss anything, you can always go back, share it with your friends, because college football is always better when we share it with the ones that we love. Enjoy Saturday, everybody.